Coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. Oh man, it has been such a busy day for yours truly that I am literally just getting to the show here last minute to throw together some segments. So I apologize in advance if it sounds sloppy. It may just have to sound sloppy. Let's lead off with uh, this big news. I'm pleased to announce that the Executive Council has approved the Atlanta Braves as the hosts of the 2025 All-Star Game and the surrounding events. Um, we had a great week this year in Seattle. Um, we're looking forward to being back here in Texas for, in 2024. And um, I think everyone knows we're going to be in Philadelphia for the 250th anniversary of the country in 2026. Um, I've said it before. Um, we wanted to bring an all-star game back to Atlanta. Uh, I made a decision in 2021 to move the event, and I understand, believe me, that people had then and probably still have different views as to the merits of that decision. What's most important is that the Atlanta Braves are a great organization. Um, Truist Park and the Battery are gems um, in terms of the facilities, and Atlanta and Georgia has been a great market, great markets for us for a very, very long time. Um, with their great fan base and rich history, Atlanta deserves an all-star game, and uh, we're really looking forward to being there in 2025. That was the voice of Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manford announcing earlier today that Atlanta would get the 2025 All-Star Game and the All-Star Week events that come along with it. Uh, this will be the third time that Atlanta hosts the All-Star Game. I believe the last time was 2000 in the old Turner Field, which is uh, now Georgia State University's baseball stadium. The Atlanta Braves also released a statement uh, via social media. It said, we are thrilled that Major League Baseball has awarded the 2025 All-Star Game to the Atlanta Braves. This will be an exciting and unique opportunity to showcase all that our organization, our partners, and our city have to offer. Truist Park and the Battery Atlanta were specially designed for an event like this and will provide the ideal backdrop for the Midsummer Classic. The MLB All-Star Game will join the long list of epic sporting events hosted in Atlanta in recent years, including the Super Bowl, MLS All-Star Game, College Football Playoff National Championship, and more. We look forward to working alongside Major League Baseball and our local businesses and community members to create memorable and impactful experiences for an unforgettable All-Star Week. Governor Brian Kemp taking to his personal personal Twitter account, where did that come from, to say that Georgia's voting, Georgia's voting laws haven't changed. I just like to do his voice. Georgia's voting laws haven't changed, but it's good to see the MLB's misguided understanding of them has we look forward to welcoming the All-Star Game to Georgia. Go Braves. <laughs> oh, my God. Just be magnanimous, dude. And here's an idea. Maybe post to your governor's Twitter account or X account or whatever the hell we're calling it now. Instead of taking a backhanded swipe at Major League Baseball that just rewarded you with the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Mm. Now, while running for governor in 2022 against... Governor Brian Kemp, Stacey Abrams caught a lot of flack because there was this perception that she's the one that lobbied to have the 2021 Major League All-Star game moved out of Atlanta. 
And a Reuters fact check done back in 2022, a month before the election, said there's no evidence Stacey Abrams lobbied for Major League Baseball's All-Star game to be moved out of Atlanta. I'll read exactly what they said. As Georgia Democrat gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams faces Republican Governor Brian Kemp in this year's midterm election, some social media users are saying that Abrams lobbied to relocate the Major League Baseball All-Star Game in 2021 out of Atlanta in protest against a law that introduced sweeping voting restrictions. Georgia Republicans, including Kemp, have tied Abrams to the MLB's decision, but there's no evidence that Abrams advocated for the All-Star Game to be moved out of the state. Abrams publicly expressed her disagreement with pulling the game from Georgia before and after MLB's decision. One Facebook user said, this is again from Reuters, I'm sure that everyone in the state of Georgia remembers Stacey Abrams, the individual who lobbied Major League Baseball to change the location of last year's All-Star game from Atlanta to a different location. More examples of similar claims, including that Abrams supported the boycott, can be seen, and they give you links, links, and links. Georgia's Republican Governor Brian Kemp signed a 98-page Election Integrity Act, also known as SB202, that reformed the state's voting laws and election rules on March 25th, 2021. And they have citations for that as well. Following the passage of the bill, the Major League Baseball commissioner decided to relocate the All-Star Game out of Cobb County in Atlanta on April 2nd, 2021. The game was moved to Denver, Colorado, and hosted by the Rockies at Coors Field. In a statement, the league did not explicitly cite the new voting laws, but noted that it supported, quote, fair access to voting and used its platform to, quote, encourage baseball fans and communities throughout our country to perform their civic duty and actively participate in the voting process. They go on to say, by the way, that Abrams shared a statement on Twitter following the MLB's announcement expressing her disappointment in the decision while noting her respect for boycotts. She commended, she commended the players, owners, and league commissioners for speaking out and urged other leaders to do so as well. Of course, meanwhile, conservative politicians and news outlets insisted that Abrams had lobbied for the boycott. Kemp said on a July 2021 campaign ad titled, Not Backing Down, that Abrams and the liberal mob forced the All-Star game to move. He reiterated similar statements on Twitter in October 2021 and July 2022 when he tweeted, Last year, Stacey Abrams pressured MLB to move the All-Star game out of Georgia. Georgia Attorney General Chris Carr echoed Kemp's sentiments in a May 2022 tweet. I guess this is my way of saying it does not surprise me that Brian Kemp wants to hang on to that lie. And obviously, he he didn't cite Abrams and doesn't need to because he's not running against her and doubtfully will not have to run against her ever again. But again, instead of just being magnanimous and celebratory, nope, he's got to stir the pot just a little bit more. Hmm. Nothing does leadership quite like that, right? Uh, An April 2nd MLB press release uh, back in 2021 read, uh, Commissioner Rob Manford said in a statement that the decision to move the All-Star game was, quote, the best way to demonstrate our values as a sport and was made after consultation with teams, former and current players, the MLB Players Association, and the Players Alliance, among others. I don't see Stacey Abrams cited there. Greg Bluestein, political reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, tweeted in April 2021 that according to an MLB source, Abrams spoke to a senior MLB official urging the league to, quote, keep the All-Star game in Atlanta before the MLB's announcement was made public. Bluestein also reported that, per an MLB source, league officials spoke to, quote, a range of politicians with different viewpoints, and Commissioner Rob Manford did not make the decision solely based on conversations with Abrams. Major League Baseball did not immediately respond to Reuters' request for comment either. Reuters goes on to say, they found no public evidence of Abrams requesting or supporting the MLB's boycott. She has, however, publicly disagreed with the decision both before and after Major League Baseball's announcement. 
Before the league statement, March 31st, 2021, Abrams said in a video posted on Twitter, I understand the passion of those calling for boycotts of Georgia uh-huh. following the passage of SB 202. Uh-huh. Boycotts have been an important tool throughout our history to achieve social change. But here's the thing. Black, Latino, API, and Native American voters whose votes are the most suppressed under SB 202 are also the most likely to be hurt by potential boycotts of Georgia. Mm-hmm. To our friends across the country, please do not boycott us. And to my fellow Georgians, stay and fight, stay and vote. Reuters goes on to mention an op-ed that she penned in USA Today, discouraging boycotts and encouraging bringing businesses to Atlanta on March 31st, 2021, two days before Major League Baseball's announcement. USA Today subsequently requested Abrams update her piece following the league's decision, which also they cite uh, as well. In both versions, the subheading of the article reads, leaving us behind with boycotts won't save us. I ask you to bring your business to Georgia, and if you're already here, stay and fight, stay and vote. Months after Major League Baseball's decision to move the All-Star Game out of Atlanta, she did an interview with 11 Alive. Talking about that voting law, and talking about a tax that the, your rivals have consistently brought up, is also with the All-Star Game. And they've accused you of being a driving force behind the boycott by the MLB. So do you have do you think that you have any responsibility for that? And why do you think they're so laser focused on you being the person that was the driving force behind it? What I have done is twice now tried to keep jobs in Georgia when Brian Kemp sent them away. In 2019, after he signed that egregious anti-choice bill that stripped away women's rights to choose, I was the one who had to talk to folks who were trying to pull their businesses out of Georgia. I was the leader of the anti-boycott movement. And when he once again decided to look backwards and try to erase voting rights in the state of Georgia, I did the work of trying to keep jobs here, trying to keep businesses here, trying to keep the game here. They called me and I said, please stay, stay and fight. I can't control what people decide to do. I can only control what I try to invest in. And that is making sure that we have a forward-looking vision for the state and doing the work possible. But in the end, if people want to say that the laws as they stand are not right, I cannot disagree. In fact, I very clearly said that any company that spoke out against those bills were doing the right thing. I don't agree with pulling the game, but I do agree with disagreeing with and saying that those laws were wrong. Uh, Reuters adds toward the end of their piece here that uh, Abrams campaign spokesman Alex Floyd told Reuters via email that the gubernatorial candidate had, quote, never supported the all-star game boycott, saying she had, quote, spent her career trying to bring more business and opportunities to Georgia, even as Brian Kemp's extreme agenda continues pushing economic investment away. So Reuters' final verdict, as would be anyone who actually looks at the evidence, false. No evidence that Stacey Abrams lobbied for the 2021 MLB All-Star Game to be relocated or that she supported the boycott in Atlanta. An op-ed by Abrams and local news reports at the time say she urged Major League Baseball to keep the game in Georgia and her campaign confirmed her disagreement with the decision. I imagine that this will be political fodder for just a few seconds because I believe uh, on or before we even get this show on the air or you've gotten a chance to listen to it, we'll find out that uh, Braves uh, right fielder and all-star Ronald Acuna Jr., likely the most valuable player in the National League. In the meanwhile, the team is actually uh, entertaining the idea, we're hearing rumors anyway, that they may try and make a run at Shohei Otani to play in Atlanta as well. Personally, I, I mean, listen, Shohei is amazing. Uh, he won't be able to pitch next year, so you're not getting full Shohei for the first year or so, and he's going to want a 10-year contract. The Braves 
Liberty Media, they don't do 10-year contracts. Uh, and by the way, he's 29 now. He'll be 39 at the end of his 10-year contract. No, I, I can't see them looking to pay a 37, 38, 39-year-old baseball player $30 million a year when the team's payroll is hovering around 120, 150 million. I just can't see that happening. But, you know, he's an exciting player. Uh, even if he doesn't come to the Braves, it would be nice if he were in the National League and we got to see him a little more often. Although, I don't want him to benefit one of our rivals and, you know, give them a leg up on us as we try to march towards another World Series. Personally, I'd like to see them beef up the starting pitching. You did not come here to listen to me talk sports, though, did you? I, I'm, I was just trying to soften this whole segment up a little bit because I got a little bowed up trying to defend Stacey Abrams from spurless accusations and, uh, well, flat-out lies by, surprise, Republicans. Anyway, we've got lots more to get to, and we'll get to it in just a few. The Ron Show returns on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Thursday Ron Show. Thank you for listening, wherever you do, whether it's on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I certainly appreciate that. Every once in a while, I'll get a text message with a screen grab. Hey, I'm listening to you while I'm dot, dot, dot. What uh, are the most disturbing ways I've had people say they're listening to me? Uh, well, there, there was the one who said that, well, you know, you know how you used to take the newspaper into the John, and now I just take you into the John. May I recommend the poopery spray, please? Uh, let's see. There was one person. Oh, yeah, yeah. They listen uh, through their say this there, Amazon Echo. Echo. Try not to get her attention. Um, when they're uh, taking a bath. Okay, that's nice. Very nice. Setting the mood, maybe with candles. Some of those scented bath soap thingies. Yeah, okay. All right. I mean, it's none of my business. I don't, whatever you're going to do, you're going to do. Um, what else? Um, uh, my buddy Ludwig it listens, I think, when he's on his way to CrossFit in the morning or afterwards. I don't remember. Which, but one way or the other, it's, it's super dark. <laughs> I can see that from the, the photo. It's super dark when he's driving. But then again, with this time change, it, yes, it's, it's super dark all the time now. Damn it. <clears throat> I digress. Can I just tell you, by the way, how excited I was? I got to talk a little bit of sports as it related to politics. Because I mention this all the time. You did not come here to listen to me talk sports, but I do like talking sports. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm kind of toying with the idea of doing uh, a separate podcast altogether, uh, probably something that would be like weekly in nature. And I'm trying to find the right partner or partners to do this podcast with me um, because I kind of want to do a sports podcast with nothing but gay guys. Could you imagine? Oh, trust me. Trust me. I can. I'm just trying to find the right characters. You know what I mean? Like, maybe the cam to my Mitch. Or, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, the, the, the cam to my Mitch. Um, modern Family fans, you'll understand. Um, so, anyway. Hey, I want to mention something that uh, happened uh, earlier this week that kind of caught me, and I, I kind of followed away and said I'd get to it if I had a chance to get to it, uh, and I just hadn't had a chance to get to it. Uh, there was a fire uh, over the weekend. Well, there were several fires over the weekend here in, in Atlanta. Of course, we all know about the massive apartment fire uh, at La Vista and uh, Piedmont that has hundreds of homeless folks and a couple of absolute dumbasses uh arrested for shooting off fireworks. Their selfish decision has sent hundreds scattering 
to uh, folks' couches and basement apartments and shelters and this, that, and the other. You know, great time of year for that too, right? And um, with without any belongings. Um, and it's my understanding too that for whatever reason, like most apartment complexes insist you have renter's insurance. And that one I'm hearing did not. There are a lot of uh, folks who, who have GoFundMes. Ah, I forgot I was going to share the GoFundMes in my show notes. I'll try and do that today. Remind me. Uh, I'm telling you to remind me. Anyway, uh, another fire that occurred uh, in recent days was uh, a pre-Civil War era home uh, on the Stone Mountain Park campus. It has since been ruled accidental, and Rosanna Hughes at the AJC reports that the fire destroying a nearly 200-year-old home uh, caused by a faulty electrical conduit. Now, there's some irony. 200 years ago, they didn't have electrical conduits in a house. Uh, investigators had been at the historic Dickey House in the park's historic square since the fire broke out. Tuesday's early morning hours, it appears to have originated near the home's front portico and triggered both fire and burglar alarms, sparking suspicions of arson. But, quote, as a result of tests on fire debris and other evidence collected at the house, the state fire marshal's office has determined that an electrical fault in conduit near the entrance to the home was the cause of the fire, not arson. That, according to Park Police spokesperson John Bankhead, the fire marshal's office confirmed the ruling. Uh, the article states no flammables or accelerants were found at the site, Bankhead added, and the burglar alarm would have been triggered when the power went out. Also of importance, there were no injuries. Now, the home is not, uh, or was not, there all along. It had been moved before when the park had been put together. Uh, it actually was uh, on a plantation about 30 miles west of Albany. On a, It was a thousand-acre plantation uh, built somewhere between the 1840s and 1850s and originally built by Charles Milton Davis. The article states he went on to become a colonel in the Confederate Army. The home was moved to Stone Mountain Park in 1961 to create the historic square, formerly known as the Stone Acres Plantation and later as the Antebellum Plantation. Several other structures were imported around the same time and still stand. You know, I remember when uh, Stacey Abrams first ran for governor in 2018, I was just moving back to the state uh, after having lived outside the state of Georgia from 2000 to 2018, I think. Yeah. Um, and I remember she stated she wanted, uh, you know, to, to deal with the carving. She wanted it removed or um, uh, altered or something like that to, to kind of take the racist connotation uh, from the park. Uh, and I remember thinking at the time, it was like, oh, cringe, cringe. And the reason I said that was not because I don't agree with her, but just that when you are running um, for governor in the state, and we know now that this is a deeply divided, partisan-driven, purple state, a few hundred or thousand votes one way or the other can really affect a campaign, can affect the outcome. I thought at the time, like, that's not going to go over well with some citizens who may be on the margins, however few there may be. Uh, however, since then, the park has made changes, and while the big one, the the, the whopper, the, the carving on the side of the mountain, hasn't been changed, there have been changes made inside the park to make it way less of a 
Confederate celebration than it was when it was when the park was put together in the 1960s. And you know, I'll dive into a little more of this in my next segment because I, I definitely want to talk about this. It's it's a conversation that I think we're long overdue for anyway. The the park. Make no mistake, the park was put together with the sentiment of essentially the Southern conservative mindset of a middle finger at the civil rights movement in uh, the middle of the 20th century. Make no mistake about it. It's, it's, un, it's unmistakable. And while there's you know longer history to the carving, of course, uh, that, that predates the, the park's creation, the implication is kind of clear as well. It's a huge, literally a huge scar on Georgia's most popular tourist attraction. Something we should address. And I'll address it next segment. The Ron Show returns on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. This, this is The Ron Show on America One Radio. You know, it's funny. Today is one of those days where I actually had no idea where my show was going to go. Uh, I sit here and I don't have like a long list of stuff I want to get to. I definitely want to get to the George Santos thing. Uh, so maybe we'll do that next segment. But I, I started talking about the uh, the fire at uh, Historic Stone Mountain Park, and here's the funny thing. Yeah, obviously I'm I'm against all forms of Confederate display uh, on public property, especially when it comes to taxpayer dollars. And I know how much of what dots the landscape, especially throughout the South, well, throughout all of the United States, really. Uh, that honors con- the Confederacy, uh, in particular, specifically, actually, uh, is is about intimidation and sort of a reminder of how things once were and watch your step. You, you know what I mean? Um, so I, I'm against all this sort of. But oddly enough, as a child, I remember my family taking me to Stone Mountain Park. When we were kids, we stayed overnight at Stone Mountain Park uh, for for a weekend, I believe. And it's got, you know, got its little bit of a theme park vibe and uh, the, the, the train ride and the, 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 the paddle boats and the, the big river boat and the, the sky buckets up to the top where you can walk, hike your way up to the top. Uh, I just remember we did that. And I don't remember like how we filled an entire weekend doing it because, good Lord, uh, there's just only so much to do at Stone Mountain Park. But by golly, we did it. Uh, and I, I thought it was cool. Like I am such a history nut, even as a little kid. And I was probably seven, maybe when we went to Stone Mountain Park the first time, maybe the only time, I don't know that we ever stayed there again, but we did the one time. Uh, and I remember going through, I probably went through the Dickey house. I'm sure we went through the Dickey house, uh, since, since it had been there since the 1960s. Um, and just like reveling in the history, just surrounding ourselves in the immersing ourselves in the the history to, to see how folks uh, lived back then, um, both plantation owner and slave, or so we thought, and thinking nothing of it, like uh, just being a kid, like oh, this is neat, like you know, getting to get a, a feel for what life in the eighteen hundreds was like in Georgia, but not really getting a feel for what life was like in the eighteen hundreds in Georgia if you were a slave. And I look back at that now, and obviously I was, again, just seven years old, so kind of ignorant to it, but uh, even just coming to realize now, as an adult, that that park came to be as a response 
to the push for civil rights in the 1960s. Like, I, I'm damn near 50 years old. I'd been there before, and I know that there's been this push to, pardon the phrase, whitewash the Confederate uh, memorabilia and, and, and honorage uh, from, from the park, but I didn't actually ever connect the dots to the park's history literally beginning as a de facto middle finger to the civil rights movement. I'm going to play you some audio from a uh, five-minute piece or so from a, a Bloomberg documentary that talks about Georgia's Stone Mountain Park eight years after the Civil Rights Act was signed. That monument to white supremacy on the side of the mountain was completed. And it's 2023. Isn't it time to say, you know what? That doesn't really represent us as a city, as a metro area, as a state. It's kind of like it's ugly. The more you look at it now, it's like, oh my God, it's just, but what do you do? How do you, how do you fit? I don't, I'm not the person that could sit here and talk to you about like how you blast this off the side of the mountain and not just permanently scar it in a way. I, I don't know what the fixes would be, but we definitely need to start having grown-up conversations about the fixes, right? Uh, anyway, let me give you a little piece of this audio from uh, from the Bloomberg piece so you can kind of get a, a background of the creation of Stone Mountain Park in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. As the United States grapples with its treatment of black Americans, monuments dedicated to Confederate leaders and soldiers are falling. None, however, are quite like the carvings of Jefferson Davis, Robert E. Lee, and Stonewall Jackson on Georgia's Stone Mountain, the world's largest monument to white supremacy. Stone Mountain, Georgia. The largest single work of sculptural art in the world has just been completed. To be clear, symbols of the Confederacy, any iconography connects themselves to white supremacy. That is, that is uh, Alicia Brooks with the Southern Poverty Law Center. The truth, and that's all these symbols mean. A tribute to the Confederacy. The Confederacy was, was founded to continue the enslavement of African Americans. Featuring General Robert E. Lee, Jefferson Davis, and General Stonewall Jackson. This trio was unapologetically enthusiastic about maintaining the institution of slavery. And on November 25th, 1915, over a dozen men gathered at the top of Stone Mountain. That night, the men who lynched Leo Frank, a Jewish man wrongly convicted of killing a teenager, burned across the top Stone Mountain, signaling the rebirth of the Ku Klux Klan. It was Klan property. Stone Mountain had been a gathering place for the Klan. The two main organizations that have to do with these Confederate monuments were, were not the Klan. Uh, was the, the Daughters of the Confederacy and the Sons of the Confederate Veterans. Those were the front for the erection of these monuments across America. Over 400 Confederate symbols were sponsored or co-sponsored by the Daughters of the Confederacy. These monuments across the nation were not built in the 19th century. They were built in the 20th century. By the way, this is Richard Rose from the Atlanta NAACP. In response to civil rights gains, the purchase was after uh, Brown versus Board of Education decided. Stone Mountain was completed in 1972, eight years after the Civil Rights Act was signed. Whenever African-Americans asserted our uh, civil and human rights, the white supremacists reasserted white supremacy in the form of these symbols being dotted all across the United States. 
In the aftermath of the recent extrajudicial killings of black people, there's been a renewed urgency to remove these monuments across the country, including Georgia's Stone Mountain. These demands have been met with opposition. The claim they make is that this is history. You can't erase history. Well, no monument is history. A monument is, is merely a political statement. Uh, once we move on away from the politics of the past, those remnants of the politics of the past should be placed in a museum somewhere. Perhaps they need to be a massive graveyard of Confederate monuments. Mm. All we're asking for is that, that a true and full history be taught. And the irony of the uh, argument about, oh, that's history, is that this is the same side of the aisle that likes to argue that we shouldn't reveal ugly parts of our history because uh what, what's the argument about uh, against like critical race theory remember uh oh we don't want to make pe- we don't want to make kids feel guilty or to feel targeted but i mean we, we we still teach about slavery in the united states history and i as a little white boy in grovetown elementary school in grovetown georgia in the 1980s was horrified at the, the the story that I was being told, but never once felt guilty or responsible. It's, and, and I was a child. If I, as a child, were was able to have that kind of rational mindset, then please explain to me how children today wouldn't be equally as adept to handle the news that... Uh, there have been egregious wrongs throughout this country for our marginalized citizens. By the way, there, there's a certain irony to the fact that the city of Stone Mountain, which has about 6,000 residents, is 72% black or African American. I just I, make of that what you will. I just I find that to be interesting as there is still a fervent push to save the carving on the side of the mountain that many of those residents see on a regular basis from their own yards or to and from their jobs or school. Hey, uh, let's go back to the Bloomberg piece real quick. They are determined to tear down every statue, symbol, and memory of our national heritage. That is why I am deploying federal law enforcement to protect our monuments, arrest the rioters, <laughs> and prosecute offenders to the fullest extent of the law. Why proactively go out and protect um, uh, monuments in, in this way? It's to hold on to the notion that white supremacy reigns. They do not want to let go of that narrative. America has endorsed white supremacy, has endorsed the Confederacy. And I mean, what, what country would do that? The fact that people want to tie their heritage to white supremacy is, is, is baffling to me. I mean, it is, unfortunately, there's a heritage of hate, there's a heritage of bigotry, there's a heritage of discrimination. Why don't you go down and paint it on the wait, city wait, building? Wait, wait, wait. Hey, Why is it got to be a statue? So I know, so I do understand that other races do not understand how we feel about this statue, right? This is the equivalent to having Hitler's statue in a Jewish community. Mm. As a black person, I'm not insulted by these monuments. I'm really terrified by these monuments. Because while you hold these signs and while you gather for a monument, 
There are people that are treated like animals every single day. Stone Mountain's Confederate monument is protected under a 2001 Georgia law. Mm -hmm. So any changes would require a repeal of that section of the Georgia State Code. Until that law changes, protesters will continue to demand the world's largest monument to white supremacy come down. By the way, it says here representatives from Stone Mountain Park did not respond to requests for interviews for that piece. From a quick take at Bloomberg, and I will share that in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. So hear me out. I am a 49-year-old Georgia-born white male with no ties whatsoever to the Confederacy. I can trace back my lineage to outside these United States prior to, or I I guess long after the Civil War had ended. At least three decades after the Civil War had ended. I literally have no blood, no skin in the game whatsoever. And I would imagine, I would love to know, I'm sure somebody's done the demography on this, I do have a sociology professor for a friend I should like reach out to and ask about this. I, I would imagine that at this point, so much of Georgia's non-black population has absolutely no ties whatsoever to the Confederacy at all. Should care not one iota about Confederate statues coming down, about the side of Stone Mountain. The, the, the carving being altered in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Again, and I don't know how you do that. I really don't. I don't know what you do to, to alter. There's, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's a way, but you're, say, say you blast the generals off the, the side of the mountain, you're still left with the scar. So I don't, and I'm sure there are uh, ideas that have been pitched. I just don't know how you fix it. But I, readily accept that knowing why the carving was put up, how the park even came to be, that it is, y'all, that, did you hear me when I said this before? Stone Mountain Park is Georgia's most visited tourist attraction. Can you believe that? Stone Mountain Park is Georgia's most visited tourist attraction. If you're saying to yourself, Ron, that cannot be right. No, I, I, I checked. I, I'm gobsmacked like you are. Four million annual visitors to Stone Mountain Park. I don't know what you're thinking. Well, don't the Braves get? No, they don't get four million. I think we got over three million at uh, Truist Park this year, but it, not four million. Four million annual visitors to Stone Mountain Park. Well, uh, what about the MLK uh, National Park? About 700,000. Uh, what about Rock City? By the way, did you know Rock City? Like, we all go to Chattanooga to go to Rock City. Rock City is actually in Georgia. I, I didn't know that either until I looked it up here a while back. Rock City gets about a half a million visitors every year. See Rock City, all the, all the barns, all the, all the signs that tell you to go see Rock City. Uh, half a million visitors. Mm-mm. Stone Mountain Park is Georgia's most visited tourist attraction. Not the Coke Museum. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, not the College Football Hall of Fame, not the Civil Rights Museum downtown. 
the Georgia Aquarium. How many does Georgia Aquarium get? Ooh, 2.9 million visitors. So the Georgia Aquarium is likely the third most visited tourist attraction. Uh, let's see. What would... Um, okay, Six Flags Over Georgia. Uh, sometimes 2 million or more. But Stone Mountain Park, the state's most visited tourist attraction with its white supremacist ties in history and the carving that's still there. We should address that. We really should address that. I was dead set against Stacey Abrams speaking up about it in 2018 because I wanted her to win. I knew that saying what I'm saying now back in 2018 was not going to help her win, but it, it should happen. Anyway, one more segment the Rancho. Got to talk George Santos. Next, when we return on the American Radio app, AmericanRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Final segment of the Rancho for Thursday, and ooh, girl. Breaking news. Embattled Congressman George Santos says he will not run for re-election amid investigations into his conduct. Santos is facing more than 20 federal felony charges, including conspiracy, wire fraud, aggravated identity theft, and credit card fraud. Now the House Ethics Committee just released a report saying it found, quote, substantial evidence that Santos broke the law and has referred its findings to the Justice Department. ABC's Jay O'Brien has the latest from Capitol Hill. Hi, Jay. Diane, at this hour, we're learning that Representative George Santos has announced that he won't run for a second term after the release of that scathing House Ethics Committee report that details findings that the Ethics Committee says shows that Santos used campaign funds for personal reasons, funds that were given by donors to the Santos campaign that the Ethics Committee says Santos used to pay down credit card debt, to mm-hmm. shop at stores like Hermes, to shop at stores like Sephora. They even said they, they were used allegedly for quote-unquote small purchases on OnlyFans as well as extensive, or expensive rather, hotel stays. Did he say OnlyFans? Ooh, George. Mama's going to be so disappointed in you. Also... <laughs> it kind of makes you wonder what sort of lotions he was picking up at Sephora. Oh, I'm sorry, skincare products <clears throat> at Sephora. <laughs> and how that relates to his uh, OnlyFans purchase. You know what? I'm not putting my hand, I mean, my hands on that. Back to the story. <laughs> Um, This all comes as Santos faces those federal indictments as well. Federal prosecutors making similar allegations to which Santos has pled not guilty. Mm -hmm. Now, the House uh, voted previously not to expel George Santos by you need a two thirds majority to expel anyone from Congress. And that threshold was not met the last time the House voted on this. But we've heard from New York Republicans who have long been critical of Santos, who have said that they are interested in bringing a resolution to expel Santos yet again to the House floor in the wake of this ethics report, as well as other members of Congress who have said similar things. So the question facing George Santos at this hour is, despite the fact that he's saying he's not going to run for re-election, can he hold on to his current seat in the House after a potential another vote to expel him from Congress in the wake of this ethics report? So the bottom line is George Santos is And it's a good thing that he's not going to run for re-election. I mean, okay. The right thing to do, dude. Trust me. That seat ain't the one he needs to be worrying about. Because pretty soon, clang, 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 go the prison doors. 
Okay, I told you, like, sometimes the show just kind of surprises me which direction it takes. And how about the fact that I didn't even follow up on what was, like, the huge story yesterday. And we had a, a leaked video testimony from Fulton District Attorney Fonnie Willis's office that Misty Hampton's attorney said, oh, yeah, I leaked that. Thought it was in the best interest of my uh, client. Well, Judge McAfee, Judge Scott McAfee, has ordered a protection of some evidence in the Trump election case. Uh, and the AJC's David Wickert reporting that the move comes after interviews of several witnesses leaked to the media earlier this week. Following the disclosure, District Attorney Fonda Willis sought a sweeping order prohibiting the release of all evidence prosecutors turned over to the defense attorneys. Um, the Superior Court Judge uh, Scott McAfee approved a much narrower order that will require prosecutors to identify material they deem too sensitive to be publicly released. Defendants would then have 14 days to challenge the sensitive designation. Uh, McAfee said in leveling this order, the court has an interest in ensuring that all parties retain their right to a fair trial before an unbiased jury, a process that could become unattainable should the public be allowed to vet every piece of unfiltered evidence months before trial. Hey, real quick, I, I, we only have like a few minutes left on uh, today's uh, show and podcast. I thought I'd bring this up because I saw this in uh, today's uh, Politically Georgia column. It used to be the jolt in the AJC. Uh, it says here, a few weeks ago, uh, the AJC reported that U.S. Senator John Ossoff was expected to bring up concerns about China's role in fentanyl trafficking during a delegation mission to the communist nation. The AJC says, we're told Ossoff directly raised the issue with Chinese President Xi Jinping. President Joe Biden and the Chinese president announced a plan this week to curb illicit fentanyl production, which Ossoff welcomed with a note of caution. Promises and agreements are welcome, but action is required. We'll see if China acts to stem the flow of these deadly chemicals. That is no small deal if the U.S. and China are able to work on that, because as we all know, the right has been talking about the southern border and fentanyl, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I'm talking to you, girl, for quite a while now. And what you can sit here and to, to you're blue in the face and remind folks that by the way, most of the fentanyl that comes in to the United States comes in by American folks coming back to the country or coming into the country. They cannot stop talking about the southern border and fentanyl. And while, again, it, to me, it makes so much sense to talk about this country's problem with addiction and dealing with it, that would take care of a lot of the demand, right? I mean, the same with the Mexican drug cartels. I mean, I get it. They're, they're, they're dangerous, and uh, they are murderous and savage. And, but the, 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 the way we handle this isn't by invading Mexico. It's by, I don't know, curbing drug addiction in the United States. Just an idea, just a thought. And we don't seem to ever want to do that. We don't ever seem to want to talk about drug addiction recovery or even alcohol addiction recovery services. And the reason so many folks don't seek treatment, it's financial. It's strictly financial. This country's bankruptcies are led by families who are dealing with health care costs. The same thing happens with those who need drug or alcohol addiction treatment. Some of us, I'm not saying I do, I'm just saying that a lot of us have family members who need addiction recovery services, but 
if they don't have a job or can't keep a job because of their addiction, they don't have insurance. You don't have the money to send them to a drug addiction treatment center, do you? Exactly. That's how we address this. But hey, a positive step with uh, the president and uh, the Chinese president coming to an agreement. And for our Senator John Ossoff for speaking up about it. Kudos. He's going to do it for the Ron Show. Back here on Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Show notes at RonShowATL.com. See you then.